ahead and stand. Happy New Year to everybody. First service of the new year. And if I yawn and you start yawning, I'm sorry. I just, I, I've, I know we've been in this time for a little bit, but I just can't get used to it. I, uh, I'm one of those guys that uh, somebody asked me the other day, said, well, have we ever done a watch night service here? And uh, in my 30 years, I can tell you we tried one time. And it was early 90s uh, when we did. And I, I, I discovered right then and there, I'm not a fan of staying up to midnight. Uh, so from then, then on, I know I'm a fuddy-dud. I'm an in-between guy. I'm not early morning. I'm not a late night. That's 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock. That's, 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 my, that's my time. Uh, maybe 6.30, maybe 7, you know, just. <laughs> but I do, I do like my rest. It's kind of funny because we go on vacation, and uh, Sheila, one of her favorite things to do is take a cruise. She loves cruising. You know, and of course, on the cruise ship, you got all the karaoke that goes on after 10 and all that kind of stuff. Not this fella. Nine o'clock, we start heading for the cabin. <laughs> but uh, hey, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, anyway, Happy New Year to you. Thank you for being with us online tonight. Uh, let's open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you'll comment this evening, we'll pray with you as well. Let's do pray for. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was sent out. I had Sheila at the doctor today, so I, I wasn't able to get it out. But uh, uh, Dwayne Harper passed away uh, yesterday. Uh, Dwayne Harper was the pastor. In fact, he was the pastor when this church was built uh, in 76. He, uh, has reti- he retired and moved back to Cleburne. And he's been with us several times, uh, but uh, got noticed this morning that, or last night that he passed away yesterday. So uh, just be in prayer for that family. Uh, and, uh, you know what? Thank God for the hope of heaven. You know, that, uh, that it doesn't ease the pain, but it sure gives you an anchor that holds through it all. Amen. Father, tonight, we are so grateful to be together tonight on this first Wednesday of the new year. Uh, Lord, we thank you for anticipation, uh, Lord, and expectation of what can happen this year. Uh, Lord, I, I know that, uh, every day is a new opportunity to see incredible things, uh, Lord, and, and to discover you in a new light. And I just pray tonight that, uh, Lord, as we journey on this 2024, that you help us to have a time of discovery. Uh, Lord, discovering you in new facets and new ways and learning to worship you, uh, Lord, in a deeper walk, a deeper level. And it begins with our study tonight. Uh, Father, I thank you for the privilege of studying together, coming together. Uh, Lord, for the privilege of praying together, lifting up needs Lord, I pray for every hand that went up in the building tonight and, uh, Lord, each one online tonight. I just ask, God, that you would, Lord, that you would just take charge and do again what only you can. Lord, the theme in my heart this year is dare to believe. Lord, I dare to believe that with you all things are possible. Lord, those things that seem insurmountable, Lord, you're able. Those things that seem impossible, Lord, you're able. And I pray, God, that we would just dare, uh, Lord, dare to believe and, and, and believe that it's possible with you. Bring healing, bring deliverance bring strength, bring consolation, comfort. Lord, just do what you can. Meet every physical need tonight. Lord, every financial need, every relational need to, tonight, Lord, and meet our spiritual needs. Uh, Father, anchor us in that which is eternal. Be with all the ministries here tonight on the campus, Lord, and uh, uh, just be lifted up in all that we do. We continue to pray for revival uh, in our community and in our land, and we pray for, for Israel. Uh, God, that you would, again, show yourself strong on their behalf and Father, we thank you for answered prayer. We just lift all of this up to you now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen. God bless you tonight. Go ahead and, and as you're seated, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. We're going to go back to the beginning. Somebody asked me, said, you know baseball, I was a baseball player. He said, you know baseball was listed in the Bible, right? And I said, no, where does it say that? And he said, well, in the beginning. I know, I know, that's cheesy. <laughs> We're going to work on corny jokes this year. <laughs> but uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, I am going to start a uh, new sermon series for the, for the uh, new year on Sunday. It's a short one, uh, three or four weeks, and it's uh, entitled Creatures of Habit. And we want to talk about some habits, uh, good and bad, that uh, can help us as we move into 2024. Uh, habits define us. How many know that? Habits define us, and that can be good, and that can be not so good. So we're going to talk about that. Um, 
Uh, don't forget next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, is our first food distribution of 2024. And uh, it will be at Yellow Jacket Stadium. I was looking at the advanced forecast, and they're showing 60 degrees. Hallelujah. No rain. And I can do that in January. Uh, so uh, uh, we'll, we'll have a few things down the road. But uh, anyway, tonight I'm going to kick off a study. Uh, again, it'll probably be uh, just a short series as we start off the year. But a firm foundation, a firm foundation, our text, uh, we can quote it. I'll, I'll be spending a lot of time in Genesis over the next uh, three weeks or four weeks, uh, and you'll understand why here in just a moment. But our text tonight is Genesis 1-1, and it does simply read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, on this first Wednesday of 2024, uh, one, one of the things that, and I mentioned this a little bit on Sunday, but uh, there, there's a lot of unknowns about this year. Again, there's nothing, there, there's nothing magically that happens with the changing of the calendar. In fact, uh, it, it's just, it's, just it's, a, it's a routine, it's redundancy. You just change the calendar and you have to start for the next six months remembering to write 2024. Uh, but again, there's a lot of unknowns ahead of us. You know, there are things that we can talk about, we can forecast, we can predict, we can, we can uh, anticipate. But the truth is, we don't really know. We don't know about tomorrow. We don't know about uh, next week, next month, or the summer. Uh, how many of you have already got some plans made for this year? Yeah, I, I, most people. If you're, I, I'm a planner. Uh, I, I'm a planner. We, uh, uh, we, we plan vacations usually a year in advance. And pray that <laughs> nothing nothing happens, uh, and and so we've already got this year planned out and laid out for the most part. We've got things set on the calendar for the church ministries that we want to do and outreaches that we're wanting to do. Uh, not in total, but uh, I'm I'm a very flexible person. I've always told you know some of you remember years ago we used to do a concert series here, and just about every month or every six weeks we had a we had a group coming through here, um, and partly because we were very flexible. You know, I'd get a call six weeks six weeks out, and they say, "Hey, can 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 you have uh, you know Gold City? Uh, can you have Carmen? You know, we've had Carmen a couple of times, but you know, can you? You know, I mean, we that's how it worked. I was just like, you know what? I'm not married to my calendar. If, if I can work it in, we're going to work it in. We're going to do what we can. But anyway, so there's a lot of unknowns ahead of us. This is the time of year, however, that we mentally reset. You know, it, 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 that's what the new year is. It, it, again, there's nothing mystical or magical about changing the calendar, but we do, uh, psychologically, we get a mental, uh, we have a mental reset and we strive for a better year. And so we're just beginning uh, to journey into the unknown. So we want to begin right. We want to begin right. So again, tonight I'm kicking off this short series entitled A Firm Foundation. And I think everybody here understands the, that a foundation is vital to establishing a structure. You know, if you were to remove the carpet from this building, uh, you would find underneath this carpet, you would find a foundation. If you were to, um, this building, this building here was built in 19, or dedicated in 1976. So it's been here a long time. And it still stands. It has stood the test of time and inclement weather. Um, the you know I, I, everybody marvels at the beams. They don't build things like this anymore. Uh, the the wood beams. Um, it, it's a stout building. This this brick wall right here is is individual bricks on the inside, individual bricks on the outside, and you have cinder blocks in the middle. Uh, I mean, if there's a storm, you want to run in here. <laughs> uh, so so. Uh, again, this is, but the foundation is what holds it together, what holds it up. So we understand the principle of foundation, how vital it is to establishing a strong structure. If you, if you take shortcuts in the foundation, guess what? You're going to pay for it down the road. You're going to pay for it. I, I, I've, you know, I used to be an inspector. Uh, my last year, I did some multifamily inspections for the city of Irving, and, and there were times where we'd come across a builder that was trying to cut corners on foundations. You know, they would take, for instance, rebar. Instead of it being, you know, 12 inches apart or whatever the code might require it to be, they were trying to, you know, extend it out a little bit. You know, if you, if you, fudge, you, know, if you fudge a couple inches, 
over the span of a foundation, you save rebar, you know. So, but if you cut corners on the foundation, at some point, payday's coming, right? You know, and this is true in construction. You don't want a builder that wants to give you a discount on foundational work. <laughs> if anything, if anything, you want to put more into the foundation uh, than take away from the foundation. But you know what? It's not just true in the construction industry. It's also true spiritually. It's, it's true spiritually. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. We're going to look at uh, fa- the foundation that you and I have as Christians. Because whether we, we, we see it or pay attention to it, the foundation is being tested in 2023, and right now, 2024. The foundation of our faith is being tested and challenged right now. You know, one of the troubling things that we have all witnessed over the past several years is the dismantling of history. I, I, I like history. I, I, when, when the Iraqi war back, back years ago, uh, you heard reports of ISIS that were going through some of the ancient cities and, and they were destroying some of the ancient art. It, it broke my heart. Honestly, it made me want to load up a couple of my ARs and drive up, fly over, drive over there. <laughs> That'd be a long drive. You ever, you ever see this thing run on water? I, I, it bothered me <laughs> that people would, could be so careless about history. I, I love history. I love, uh, you know, going to, 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 to Washington, D.C. Anybody ever been there? Just kind of, you know, kind of toured around. And I mean, the, the Smithsonian. It, it's just astounding to me. I remember the first time I ever went to, uh, David Barton used to do uh, these uh, pastor conferences there at the, at the Capitol. And we would always have a sponsor, a senator or, or a, led, uh, a rep, house of representative. And they would always take us into, we could go on the floor. Uh, and, and I remember being on the Senate chamber floor. Uh, you had the names on the desk of the senators. There were a few that I stopped and prayed real hard for during that time. Uh, you go through, they, uh, some people don't know, but the original Supreme Court, you know, when the, when the country was established, the Supreme Court was in the basement because they understood that if you get a runaway judiciary, the country's in trouble. And the worst thing that we've ever done in our history is take the Supreme Court out of the basement and put them on an equal plane with the other branches of government. They anyway, don't get me on my soapbox. I'm a history guy. I love history. <laughs> you know, Wade does his uh, reenactments and things that they do, and I, I just like history. But we have all seen over the last decade the dismantling of our history. There are people who want to rewrite history, and, and the purpose of that is they want to alter the thoughts of a new generation. That's what they want to do. They want to alter the thoughts of a new generation. History is our story. That's what history is. It's our story. The good, the bad and the ugly. Listen, there are a lot of things in our history that, that we are not proud of. There are a lot of things that are painful, and there are a lot of things that are just idiotic, and you think, how in the world could you do something like that? But it's part of our story. When my daughter and I, in 2019, we took a daddy-daughter trip to Germany. We spent 10 days in Germany. She was born there, And she was 10 months old when we came back to the States. And so I've always wanted to take her to show her where she was born. And it just so happened that 2019, everything worked out. She and I flew over there and spent 10 days. And one of the places that we went, and there's a lot of history in Europe, of course. Uh, I took her to some old medieval cities that are still standing today that are beautiful places to tour. We went to Dachau, which is one of the original uh, concentration camps of the Holocaust. And it is right smack dab in the middle, middle of a city. And they don't, you know, you, you go through there. And again, there were a lot of painful and hurtful and inhumane things that took place there. We saw the gas chambers uh, that they would, they, they, they would trick the Jews. They would take them in and say uh, that they were going to have some sort of treatment done. They needed to go in and shower and go into this building. And when they went in there, they shut the door and they gassed them. And it's there. And it brings tears. It's surreal to stand on that property to know how many people died. But it's history. It's history. You ask a local about taking it down. We were in Auschwitz in, uh, uh, when we went, took the team over to Poland to do the work with the Ukrainian refugees. And, and if you ask them, why don't you take it down? They say, no, we must learn. We must learn. 
And yet we live in a culture, in, a culture in, West, in our Western culture that want to dismantle it. They want to rewire people's thinking. Listen, history is our story. Again, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's our story. Attempting to erase it is not going to bode well for future generations. Even Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he said it like this. He said, you know, the things that had happened were for our example and a warning to us. Those things that happened long ago were, were for our example and also a warning to us. We, we've witnessed monu- monuments being taken down. Did that, by removing that monument, did it feed more people? You know, again, I, I don't mean to, if I sound political, I'm, I'm not trying to be. I, I'm, I'm trying to make a point. We've witnessed monuments being torn down. Others have been defaced and vandalized. We've had historical articles, um, places and records that have been destroyed by folks wanting to sanitize our history. People have ruined priceless art and artifacts because they deemed the art or the artist unworthy. It's a sad reality. And what is heartbreaking is how the foundation, you know, that's a sad reality, but here's the point. It, 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 it's really mind-boggling to me and heartbreaking how the foundation of faith today is being shaken. I, I, I want to say, unlike any other time before, it's, it, in many cases, trying to be dismantled. I mean, who would have imagined that mainline denominations would embrace a new gospel discounting the gospel that has been once passed down to the saints. Who, who would imagine that we would have mainline denominations that would be splitting over the authenticity of Scripture or the inerrancy of Scripture? Who would have imagined? And I'm talking mainline denominational people that no longer believe in God's Word. It came out last week. I don't know if some of you saw it, but a mainline denomination here in our country has determined it offensive to use the hateful terms husband and wife. Imagine that. A mainline denomination has, de- has deemed it hurtful, hateful to say the terms husband and wife. It, it, again, I, you can't make this stuff up. You have, a, you have a sitting pope who says now it's okay, we should never judge people based on their morality. And he's blessed and said all churches and dioceses should bless and welcome same-sex marriage. Well, who, who does he think he is? You know, again, I mean, this, this, is, this is the point. Imagine, imagine uh, again, that we are coddling hypersensitive people who have no grip on reality. That's what we're doing. We're coddling people that have no grip on reality. The great sin of the modern church is we are now condoning what he has condemned and we're celebrating what he came to destroy. That's where we are in the, in the 21st century. I, I mentioned this on Sunday that there are a lot of folks who predict, you know, they want to try to predict what the new year, year is going to be like. And I, I, again, I'm not one of them, okay, because there's a lot of unknowns. But I will tell you this, the, this trend of dismantling the old foundational truths of the gospel will continue to be eroded. That, that, that's one thing I would say with absolute certainty, that the trend that we've seen over the last few, year, few years to erode biblical truth from society will continue. As a nation, you think about it. We have watched the erosion of biblical truth at all levels. And, and, and this is going to continue. And the evidence abounds that as a nation who is disconnected from the Bible, we are now in a societal freefall. And where's it going to stop? You know, some of you might remember years ago when, when uh, the Supreme Court upheld a, a President Obama's decision to sanction uh, same-sex marriage. I stood behind this pulpit and I said, you've got to understand, this, it's not just about same-sex marriage. This is a door. This is a, it's a box that's being opened. And I said, once it's opened, it'll never stop. Who would have imagined that you have people getting irate because they say men can get pregnant? Again, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just saying this is the reality. I saw a guy just absolutely lose it the other day because he said that a transgender man can menstruate. And they were wanting to put feminine products in the male bathroom for those people. And it blows my mind. I, I, I'm saying you're going to see that continue. And again, I don't mean to be, I, I, don't, I don't 
I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just saying the foundations are being attacked and the foundations are being eroded. I mean, Disney produced a show back in 2022 called Little Demon. Anybody remember that show? Heard, heard about it? Little Demon. Here's how they described that show. The storyline. Here's how Disney described it. 13 years after being impregnated by Satan, a reluctant mother and her antichrist daughter attempt to live an ordinary life. Two seasons of that played. How about this one? And actually, I watched a clip of that just to, I'd never seen it. I heard about it. I never, weird, weird. Fox ran a show from 2016 to 2021 entitled Lucifer. It was a main show that came on sit, at evening, primetime TV, Lucifer. And what it did, it depicted the devil as a misunderstood child of God. Having, having daddy-son issues, that's what it depicted. You know, Isaiah 5.20 gives us this warning, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them. I'm saying that the foundations are being shaken and they're going to continue to have an assault against them. Uh, it, you know, it's easy to point out the evil of our day, but I think sometimes we need to take a step back, uh, you know, a step further and reflect on our own convictions. You know, th- none of this stuff happened in a vacuum. There had to be some acquiescence. There had to be some tolerations. There had to be some, you know, they call it quid, quid pro quo. There had to be some give and take. What about our own convictions? You know, most of what we see happening today is a direct result of a systematic undoing of biblical faith. I, I preached several times. One of the messages, I, I don't preach a whole lot of repeats, but one I've done several times is generational faith. We Remember, I have the three chairs up here, and I talk about faith being passed down. If we don't pass on a, a, a solid faith to our, the next generation, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to evaporate within our family line. It, it's, it's a real thing. It, what we see happening today and manifesting today is a systematic undoing of biblical faith. We can't be too upset when the world acts like the world. But it should alarm us and disturb us when the church acts like the world. And, and that's, that's kind of what I wanted to start. You know, here, here's a uh, laying the foundation because if we're going to have the 2024 to be, to be a year in his honor and, and accomplish his purposes for us, it begins with a foundation. I, I came across a study every, every two years, Lifeway Research and Legionnaire Ministries, they commission a survey to be done, um, and it's called the State of Theology. That's the, the title of their uh, survey, the State of Theology. And the study is basically designed to take the temperature of today's culture and today's Christians. And, and it's extensive. I don't have time to go through there. But here's a few things from the latest one in 2022. Here's the latest. Number, number one, 71% of Americans agreed with this statement. Here's the statement. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. 71% of the respondents agreed with that statement. The shocking part of that is almost two-thirds of evangelical believers hold this belief. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that the, the, the biblical doctrine of original sin is not embraced by most evangelicals today. The, the, the idea that we were, so the idea is, the Bible says we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. This, the, the, the modern thought today, the vast majority, well, 71% of evangelicals, or excuse me, two-thirds of evangelicals, believe that we're born innocent and are corrupted by society. Roman, Genesis 6-5, here's what the Lord said about it. Here's what God said about it. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. Romans 3, 23 simply says, All have sinned and done what? And fall short of the glory of God. If we don't believe in the depravity of man, then God's grace, as displayed in the Gospels, has no meaning and no purpose. The second thing I found interesting, eight years ago, eight years ago, 44% 44% of Americans agreed with this statement. The Bible, like all, 44% agreed with this statement. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. That's eight years ago. Today, 
53% of Americans and 26% of evangelicals believe the Bible is not literally true. Think about it. This, this, it what it does is it makes it easy. So, so everybody says, well, how in the world can, can a mainline denomination believe that? Well, I mean, it makes it easy for if you, believe, if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, you can believe anything you want to. It's easy. You know, if it's out of step with my personal conviction, my personal belief, then I just won't believe it. Remember the serpent? Remember in Genesis? He came to Eve. Remember what he, what he asked her? Did God really say? He's still asking that question today. Number three, 42% of Americans and 37% of evangelicals agreed with this assertion. Gender identity is a matter of choice. 37% of evangelicals. That goes against the clear teachings of the Bible, Genesis 3, excuse me, Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's, here's another one that's almost unbelievable. 50, 56% of evangelicals do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. When Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. I showed a video clip many years ago, some of you might remember, and it was of Oprah Winfrey on her show. A lady challenged her, and, and, and she kind of quipped back at her and said, you can't possibly believe that Jesus is the only way. That's mainline thought processes now. One more. Evangelicals increasingly believe religious faith is a subjective experience rather than an objective reality, okay? So it means it's in the mind of the beholder, basically. In 2020, 23% agreed with the statement, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, and it is not about objective truth. Two years later, 2022, 38% now believe that. It's a matter of personal opinion and not objective truth. There's more, <laughs> you know, and it, and it, it irritates you. Um, it's a small sampling that I think reveals that, hey, we're in trouble. We're, we're in trouble. That's, that's why we focus a lot on our youth and our children. I remember many years ago we had an elderly man in our church. We did a, we did a concert, and I think it was, they called it, their title was Punk the Halls. Now, I don't have anything, anything any affinity for anything like Punk the Halls. I mean, they, they, had, they had lights up here, and they had speakers. I mean, this whole wall looked like speakers, and I thought, oh, boy, I'm going to enjoy this from down the street. <laughs> And they had several bands that came. This place was packed with youth. And there was an elderly gentleman sitting right back over there. And I went back to him and I said, hey, this is not, uh, this is not uh, your typical Southern Gospel concert. And he looked at me and he pointed. He said, you see right down there? I said, yeah. He said, that's my grandson. He said, my grandson wanted to come. He said, and what's going to witness to my grandson, I'm going to be there to support it. He said, I got mirror plugs. I'll be all right. <laughs> I thought, that's the heart to have. We're in trouble. I mean, that's, that's a sampling, but, but one thing that's obvious is that the foundation is being eroded. And I think it's time for the body of Christ to get back to the foundational truth that have endured since the beginning of the time. In fact, the psalmist even asked the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So it's important to establish a firm foundation on God's, of, on God's truth and pass it on to every generation. One quote I heard, and I love this quote, a guy by the name of Ted Tripp. Don't know him? I just saw the quote, and I thought it was really good. And it said this, Give your children big truths that they will grow into rather than light explanations that they will grow out of. I thought that was pretty good. Give your children big truths that they'll grow into rather than light explanations that they'll grow out of. It's time for us to hold our convictions without compromise, no matter how controversial they'll be. I do believe you're going to see more antagonism of the world against the church. I, 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 I've seen it in my lifetime. I, I've shared this with you before. I remember when David Wilkerson was our was our keynote speaker for a district council that we had uh, way back in the early 2000s. It was at 
uh, Calvary, uh, Assembly of God, Calvary Temple in Irving, right there on 183 in Beltline when it used to be right there, big church building. They bus people in with picket signs to protest David Wilkerson preaching at that church. We, he was there two nights, I believe, and they were there every two, both nights picketing. I've seen it, and we're probably going to see more. But the church must stand for truth. We must stay anchored to, the, to Scripture to be able to handle the storms of life as we swim upstream from the cultural currents that are, uh, that are in our secular society. Where the Bible speaks, we need to speak. And again, I, I, I've seen some guys get up and they, they want to blow their stack. And they want to snort and spit and do all that kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying don't be intimidated. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm sharing a lot of stories I've shared with you before, but I shared this with you before. Back in the late 90s, I, was, uh, I, I had a phone call one day, and it was from a producer from, for the, um, uh, what was that guy's name? Jerry Springer Show. Thank, yeah, that was it, Jerry Springer Show. And they had, somebody in town had given them my name, and, and, and so this guy calls me, and he said, Reverend, he said, we, I'm with the Jerry Springer Show, and he said, we've got this, and, and some of you might remember, there was, a, there was a couple wanting to build a satanic church on the north side of Cleburne. And they said, we, we, we want to do a show. And we've invited them to come on the show, and we would like to have somebody from the other side come and be there with them or, you know, to be kind of against them type thing. And would you be interested? And I said, well, I said... I could handle my own. I said, I'm not really, I said, I don't know much about your show, but what I do know is uh, about your show is you need to understand that I'm not a grandstander. I said, if you're looking for somebody to come in there toting their Bible, spitting and snorting and shouting, I said, I'm not your guy. Here's what he said to me. He said, Reverend, you do know we're after ratings. And I said, then I'm not your guy. I said, I, I, I'm not going to get into that. Well, fast forward, they, they did the show. I didn't see it, but they did the show. A few years later, that couple got saved. In fact, they used to sit right back over here. They got saved, and I asked them, I said, how did that go? And they said that was the most horrible thing they'd ever experienced in their life. Uh, there was a point there. Oh, <laughs> my point is we've got to speak and stand up for the truth. But it doesn't mean that we have to be violent. Does that make sense? I think we have to be careful about how we, how, we, how we present the gospel, how we preach the gospel. We have to be tethered tightly to the truth and communicate it to others, I think, in a spirit of grace. If they don't receive it, that's, that's between them and God. That's between them and God. We cannot, must not, slip into this me-centered theology of easy believism and be seduced by the doctrines of demons that we've been warned against. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul, Paul said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Tim Callis states, here's what he said, Shallow Christianity will not last in the coming generation, and it will not grow. Cultural Christianity is fading. The church in the 21st century must go big on truth or go home. I like that. See, this is where we are, and I think why I wanted to kind of jump back to Genesis for the next couple of weeks. I came across an article by a guy by the name of Bill Bryan who focused on the foundational truths, and, and I thought, you know what, this would be, this, it resonated with me. I thought that would be a good study for our Wednesday night teaching. 2 Timothy 3, uh, because here's the thing, Genesis is not just the first book of Scripture, it's the foundation of the rest of Scripture. That's why it's important. And when you talk about the foundation, it's not just the first, it's not just the first book of Scripture, it's the, first, it's the foundation of Scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, we know it well, Paul writes to Timothy, said all Scripture is given or breathed by God for, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's something about it. Moses was the human author of Genesis, and the Holy Spirit was the divine author. And at the turn of the 20th century, you know, it's kind of interesting. Again, I like history, and if you go back... Most people didn't believe, many liberals assumed Moses could not have written the Pentateuch because there was a belief that, you know, the first five books of the Bible, because primitive Jews 
did not have the capacity to write back then. That's what they surmised. Well, guess what? Archaeology proved them wrong, that they had a large, uh, extensive writing in primitive Jew- Jews. So Moses is the human author. Here, here's a few things. I'm just giving you an introduction tonight. I know it's a lot of stuff I'm throwing at you, but I, I just want to kind of give you an uh, introduction because, listen, there's a foundation that has been established for the believer. And it begins in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts there, and everything follows on that. Here, here's a few things that uh, I think stand out about Genesis that we can trust. Uh, okay, so number one, the Bible doesn't begin like a fairy tale. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Once upon a time, it begins with a, with a definitive statement, in the beginning, God. You know, one of the things I've always loved about Scripture is that the Bible does not set out to prove God. It's assumed that people with a brain can understand that there is a God. That's that's the assumption, is that if you look around and you see the complexities of life, you see, you just see, there's absolutely no way. One time I was teaching a youth Sunday school class, and I took off my watch, and and I had a mason jar, and I said, if I were to break this watch down into all the components, every spring, every, every wheel, every gear, put it in that jar, how long would I have to shake it to get a functioning watch? I said, because that's what, that's what they want us to believe, that time produced all the complexities that we see. The, the human body is fascinating to me. I've read stories of people paralyzed, you know, your, your brain, you only use, <laughs> this sounds funny, you don't use all your brain. <laughs> I, know, I know a lot of people don't use near enough of the brain. But anyway, <laughs> the, people, your, your, your brain has a capacity unlike anything. There's no computer that, can, that matches the human brain. If it gets injured, it can fire off different neurons and create different neuro, neurological pathways. Uh, people that have, that have had strokes have had, different neurological pathways that have been opened up. I mean, it's just amazing what, what happens. And, and they want us to believe all this is chance. All this is chance. Number two, genealogies in Genesis. They give the names of people who actually existed. They actually lived here. I mean, in fact, the entire framework of Genesis is built around genealogies. Number three, Jesus confirmed Moses at the author in John chapter 5. He said this, he said, For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The scribes and Pharisees themselves referred to Moses as the author of the first five books. Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 24 says, Teacher, Moses said, what are they doing? They're validating the authorship. Jesus quoted from Genesis 2 in Matthew 19 when he referred to marriage, the reason and the purpose of marriage. Jesus acknowledged in Matthew 24, 37 that Noah and the flood were historic events. Jesus said, for as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. He's validating history. The Apostle Paul, here's another one. Recently I read an article where people were saying Adam and Eve were not real people. Well, in 1 Timothy 2.13, Paul affirmed Adam and Eve. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul also um, talks about Abraham and Sarah as models of the faith in letters that he sent to the Galatians. He said, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. Peter even acknowledged the worldwide flood in 2 Peter 3, 6, said the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. One commentator found at least 165 passages in Genesis that are either directly quoted or referred to in the New Testament. That's a pretty good amount of evidence. You know, science says we want to, they call it empirical evidence. You've got to have 125 references is a pretty pretty substantial amount of of documentation. See, we have to accept what Genesis teaches regardless of what society, uh, secularists, sociologists say. Actually, I think we need to do more than that. I think we need to contend 
for the faith. I love Jude 3 and 4 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. He said, contend for the faith. When I was in college, I, you've heard, again, I've, so that's the only problem with preaching with one place. I've only, I've, y'all heard my stories. When I, geology, I love geology. I, I did uh, three semesters of geology in school, and, and, and my professor was, he was a Darwinian full bore. And he and I would get, we would get at it in class. You know, he would tell something, and I said, that don't make sense to me. And then, we, then the discussion would, be, would ensue. And he finally got to the point where he says, you know what, I don't care what you believe, but if you're going to pass my class, you're going to answer the way I want you to. Whatever, still don't make sense to me. <laughs> you know, I, I, contend for it. Genesis either explains it all or doesn't explain it at all. That, that's it. It's not just the first book of the Bible. Again, it's the foundation for the rest of Scripture. One, one writer, J. Sidlow Baxter, writes, Besides being introductory, Genesis is explanatory. The roots of all subsequent revelation are planted deep in Genesis, and whoever would truly comprehend the revelation must begin here. Again, all the other truth that, we're going, that we hear in Scripture has its foundation in Genesis. By the way, uh, Hebrew, the Hebrew title comes from the word in the beginning. The English title Genesis comes from the Greek uh, translation of the Pentateuch, which means origin or source or birth. So somebody says the Genesis of a moment or a movement is the beginning. It's the beginning. One way to understand Genesis is to see uh, you, it's easily divi- divisible. Is that the right word? If not, I made it. I made it up. It sounded good to me. <laughs> Makes me sound edu- 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 was it educated. <laughs> it's, it's easily divided into categories. Uh, the first 11 chapters deal, in fact, I taught in our Wednesday night many years ago, I taught actually verse by verse the first 11 chapters because the first 11 chapters deal with the human race. Chapters 12 through chapter 50 deals with God's promises to a chosen people. Okay, that's, that's the division. Uh, the first chapters describe four major events in primitive history. You have the creation, you have the fall, you have the flood, and you have the nations. Those are the divisions uh, of, the, of the first 11 chapters. The final 75% of the book focuses on the history of four main patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's the division of Genesis. We could outline it. I, this, I don't know if we'd put them on the screen, but uh, we could outline it like this. Primitive history, 1 through 11. Patriarchal history, 12 through 50. That, that's the two divisions there. Uh, another outline, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm giving you information. Uh, Genesis, so, so we can outline it like this. Generation, chapters 1 and 2. Degeneration, 3 through 11. Regeneration, 12 through 50. One more. Creation, 1 and 2. Catastrophe, 3 through 9. Confusion, 10 and 11. And covenant, 12 through 50. Again, you can divide the book, and and if you divide it down and look at it that way, you get a, a good understanding. Genesis lays out... Uh, four foundations which are fleshed out in the rest of the Bible. So, so creation, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The fall, Genesis chapter 3. She took of its fruit and ate, and so she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Redemption, Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. New creation, Genesis 9-1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I, uh, 
I'm, I'm, I'm watching my time because I got a lot of information. Let me give you some things about, uh, let's see. I'm trying to select from here because let me give you these. I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to move real fast because I wrote, there's, there's a lot. The eternal sovereign God created everything out of nothing six days for his glory and for the good of those he created. The universe is not self-originated, but it is a direct result of God's divine creative will. Number two, the doctrine of the Trinity is found in seed form in Genesis 1.26. Number three, the sanctity and value of life from the womb to the tomb is tied to God as creator, designer, and protector. These are things that we see in, in Genesis. Number four, gender, again, is described and designed by God as a biological male and a biological female to reflect his image and for human uh, flourishing. Number five, Genesis describes where we came from, the origins, why we're here, purpose, and where we're going, destiny. When we compromise what the Bible says about creation, we invariably end up confused about our origins, our purpose in life, and our destiny. And by the way, isn't that what we're seeing today? If I don't know where I came from, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's my ultimate end? Number six, the history uh, of Adam and Eve are presented as real people. Genesis records actual, not mythical events. Number seven, the gift of marriage is described as one man, one woman, and a covenant commitment for a lifetime. Number eight, Satan is presented as a real entity with sinister plans. Number nine, the origins of original sin and the depravity of the human heart is seen in open detail, in great detail. Number 10, death and separation from God are the result of sin, Genesis 2. God's heart is to redeem and restore people. God loves to bless people. Number 13, the promise of a coming Savior who will crush the serpent unfolds through generations leading to the arrival of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Number 14, sin causes family friction and generational dysfunction. We saw that really well. Can I have a bowl of soup, please? <laughs> it's, it's there. The worldwide flood was an example of God's judgment on sin. Number 16, the origin of nations and languages is found in Genesis 11. God, God is, promise, is a promise-making, covenant-keeping God. Okay. Number 18, God establishes the practice of tithing. Everybody want, you know, it's, it's there. It, it's established, putting it in the law of Moses when Abraham gave 10% all he had to Melchizedek, the priest of God the Most High. Number 19, God accomplishes his sovereign purposes through the imperfections of men and women. Number 20, God loves to turn bad things into good for his glory. Since God created the universe, the earth, and everything living in it, we can trust him to handle the concerns of life. That's, that's just a curse review of Genesis. We're going to look at some specific things over the next couple of weeks. But I, I, I thought it was interesting. So, so the first book of the Bible is... Okay, what's the name? Genesis. Yeah. Okay. What's the last book of the Bible? They're juxtaposed against each other. Now, I find this interesting. Okay. So, so think about Genesis, the bookends. Okay, so they're the bookends of Scripture. Here's what we find. In Genesis 1, 1, we read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Revelation 21, 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In Genesis 1, 5 says... And the darkness he called night. Revelation 21, 25 says, and there will be no more night. Genesis 1, 10 says, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. Revelation 21, 1 says, and there was no more sea. Genesis 1, 16, and God made the two great lights. Revelation 21, 23 says, and the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. Its lamp is the lamp. Genesis 2.10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Revelation 22.1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Genesis 2.12, and the gold of the land is good. Revelation 21.18, the city was pure gold like clear glass. Genesis 2.17, for, for in, that, in the city that, let me start over. 
Genesis 2.17, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Revelation 21.4, and death shall be no more. Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Genesis 3.17, cursed is the ground because of you. Revelation 22.3, no longer will there be anything accursed. Genesis 3.21, and the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Revelation 19.8, and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. A couple more. Genesis 3.24, he drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Revelation 22, 2, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The spirit of the bride say, come, let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That's 2, 4, and 17, by the way. So isn't it interesting? It makes sense for Revelation to fulfill Genesis because that's kind of how Jesus identified himself in Revelation 22, 13. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. See, that's the foundation that I'm talking about. That's the foundation. It might be a bit extreme, but but the point is, if Christians cannot anchor in the eternal truths of God's Word, how will we fulfill the purpose to which we've been left here? In the genius plan of God, and I don't understand it. Listen, he could have done anything he wanted, but in the genius plan of God, Jesus took our place so we could have his peace. He took our sin so we could have his salvation. He died in our place as our substitute so that our sins could be forgiven. Jesus rose from the grave demonstrating his crushing power by destroying the devil, by defeating death, and by disarming our depravity. And what did he do? He gave us eternal life. And in his genius plan, he's called us to shine in the dark world that we live in. And if I'm not anchored in his eternal truth, then how in the world will I be able to stand up? You know, the Bible talks about, and I'm I'm closing, I promise, deception that would come in the end times. The spirit of deception is, is alive and well in 2024. It has been for a long time the, the foundation, if the foundations are eroded, what will the righteous do? I, again, you're going to be, and here's, nobody wants to be disliked, okay? Right? I don't know anybody that takes joy out of being disliked. But you know what? They hated Jesus to the point they crucified him. And I think at some point we've got to understand, I'm not saying that we purposely go out of our way to, to tick people off and make them hate us and despise us. What I'm saying, we cannot be a waffle. I, you know, Jesus, talking about John the Baptist, he, he remember what he asked him, he said, what, what did you expect, a reed shaking in the wind? What, what, what did you go out there to look for, this, this, this wet noodle that just kind of flopped around depending on which way the wind blew? No, he was a, he was a, 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 he was a, a, a stoic prophet of God that refused to bend the knee. That's what he's calling us to be. I'm, again, we're not militant. We're not radical. We're just, we're just blood-bought, sold out, anchored in that which was and is and is to come. I want you to stand with me tonight. The foundation has been laid. We're not, we're not talking about building a new foundation. You can't. In fact, Paul told the Galatians, he said, hey, I don't care if I come to you or an angel from heaven comes and preaches another gospel. If they do, let them be cursed. The foundation has been laid and history has proven it to be a solid, firm foundation. So if we're going to endure the dark days that are coming, again, I, uh, around me, I, I, I never say anymore it can't get any worse because you know what? It typically does. 
It can't get more bizarre. It typically does. What I'm saying is God help us to be anchored and pass on a faith to our children. My, my parenting, you, again, I say this all the time. My parenting, when I, my children were small, I, I had one opportunity. My sole goal in life as a dad was to see to it that my children fell in love with Jesus. Because I can give them the whole world. But if I don't give them Jesus, I would call myself a failure. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not discounting the fact that I, I, I know good people to have children that have, that have wandered from God. You know what? You as a parent taught them, discipled them, brought them to the house of God. You exposed them. Their seed planted there. And our job is to pray that that seed would germinate and produce. Listen, the arm of the Lord's not short that he can't reach them. Listen, there were five of us in my family, siblings, and there's a couple, all raised the same way, all had the drug problem, drug to church every time the doors were open, and oftentimes when they weren't open. But there's a couple that aren't even, have no, no desire, no desire. And you think, how, how, is, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. Because my dad and my mom my dad in particular did his very best. I'm here today because of my dad and his faith. So I'm just saying that I know families that have children that have walked away from the faith. You're not a failure as a parent. I, I live my life investing in my children. They had to choose their path. And even today, you know, they choose their own path. I, I can't choose it for them. And that's what I tell them. I, you're, you're on your own. You've got to make. You've got to come to the conclusion that he's the only way. But there's enough faith there. There's enough seed there that God can do it. I want us to bow as we close in prayer tonight, and that kind of touched my heart. I want to ask you this: If you're here tonight, and 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 you know we're going to be talking about some foundational things, and you know the only way we can build a firm foundation is we've got to we've got to make the Bible a part of our lives. It's got to be a part of our lives. Study. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. So we'll be praying about that. But I want to ask this one thing. If you're here today, and maybe you do have someone, a loved one, a son, daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a brother, a sister, a relative of some sort that's not walking in faith, that used to, that they're not walking with the Lord. I want us to pray for them tonight. If that's you, how about just slip your hand right, right back down. Amen. A lot of us here. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you. See, when it comes to praying for people who, who are not walking with the Lord, the only prayer that really works is that we pray that God will open the eyes of their understanding because the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. And only through that revelation will they come to know the truth. So, Father, tonight, Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the foundation that has been established Lord, the psalmist had it right. Forever, O oh Lord, your word has been established in heaven. Lord, tonight we thank you for that foundation that has proven historically and practically in our lives to be firm and to be solid. Father, I pray for the hands that went up. I pray for moms and dads. I pray for grandpas and grandmas. I pray for brothers and sisters, parents and child. Lord, the pain of investing in the lives of our loved ones and to have them turn from you. It's concerning, disheartening. Lord, you know all about it. Father, I thank you that seed, Lord, that sometimes seed can lie dormant for years. And at the right condition and timing, that seed can germinate and can produce. Lord, this is a year to dare to believe. Lord, we pray that you open the eyes of their understanding that they might see your truth and believe. Lord, we dare to believe that your arm is not short, that you cannot reach our loved one, your ears not deaf, that you, are, you cannot hear their prayers and their cries. So, Father, we pray that this year as we dare to believe that, Lord, salvation is possible. 
to our loved ones. Lord, we call them out before you. We lay them on that altar for you. Lord, we can't do it. But Lord, there's nothing you can't do. Father, help us to be determined people to build on a solid foundation. Lord, to stand on our convictions, to stand for truth and righteousness, not be embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Lord, it's the power of God unto salvation to them who believe. Lord, we believe. We're not ashamed. Father, I pray you'll go with us tonight. Give us a great night, a restful night. And Lord, should you, Terry, bring us again on Sunday, even now, bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. Already, already now, ordain what you're going to do, should you, Terry. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. We all said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us tonight online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.